Hi everyone, welcome to Wednesday Night Bible Study. It's Pastor Steve uh, broadcasting again from an undisclosed location in La Mirada. Welcome, thanks for joining our podcast. Uh, we've been doing the Gospels on Monday night, on Wednesday night uh, Bible Study. We're in part 13. I want to thank you for joining us and I just encourage you to share these podcasts and let people know that they are available because we're going to continue to do them. And even when we uh, begin to meet again, uh, I'll probably continue to, to record and do these podcasts. So in case you can't be there or for whatever reason, uh, you'll be able to pick up Wednesday Night Bible Study off the podcast. So all of this um, coronavirus stuff is uh, causing us to update and do some things differently, but it will have some positive uh, benefits for us. As you know, we're also, you know, doing our online uh, recording. We'll probably continue to record uh, services as well and put them on the uh, website and Facebook. So, uh, again, I just want to encourage you and thank you for joining us and, and uh, make sure you, you like and share all of those uh, podcasts and online services because we're reaching an awful lot of people. We're getting um, anywhere from three to five, six hundred uh, views on our uh, online telecast. So that's... Uh, Pretty good. So, we are in the Gospels, uh, part 13. Remember, on the uh, podcast page there, there's a link. You can download my uh, my outline. You can follow along. You can print it out and take your own notes. And again, remember, if you have any questions about anything, uh, please let me know. Email us or, or call, and I'll make sure I answer your questions. So, we're in the Gospel of John. Chapter 8, I'll be dealing, uh, starting with verse 1 to 11. Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 1 to 11. Uh, but Jesus went out to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now the law of Moses commanded us to stone such woman. What then do you say? Now notice they were trying to trap Jesus. They were trying to test him. Uh, Jesus is a little smarter than uh, they are. See what happens here. Verse 6. And they were saying this, testing him in order that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger, wrote on the ground. Verse 7. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And then again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones, and he was left alone, and the woman where she was in the midst. And straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way. From now on, sin no more. We know this passage is the uh, passage the woman caught in adultery. A couple things I want to bring out here. As I've been saying the last couple of weeks, 
uh, as we go along in our study in the Gospels, Jesus is getting closer and closer to the cross. He's getting closer and closer to, uh, uh, you know, when they uh, scourge him and, and, and all of this, getting closer to resurrection. So his ministry is getting much more intense. And what's interesting in this passage is a couple things. Normally we teach and, you know, the thing about, you know, uh, who was ever without sin cast the first stone. Uh, they all kind of look around and realize they're all sinners and they all walk away. And Jesus says, as no one uh, condemned you, neither do I. And uh, we look at this, you know, talking about judging one another. That's part of it. But notice in this particular passage, uh, verse 6, it says, And they were saying this, testing him in, in order that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger, he wrote on the ground. And many times you wonder, what, what was he writing? What was going on with that? And then it goes on, it says, But when they persisted in asking him, this is verse 7, he straightened up and said to them, He was without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And then again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And then it says, And when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones, and he was left alone with the woman, where she was in the midst. So my question is, what did Jesus write on the ground? And what's going on with that? Uh, because we're not told what he wrote. Well, there's a tremendous symbolism here. Uh, Jesus, again, he's making the case for who he is, that he is God. And he's doing this in subtle ways. Uh, you know, he's signs and wonders in his teaching. And now he stoops on the ground and with his finger he's writing something. They're trying to convict him according to the law. He stoops down and he writes something down on the ground. We don't know what he wrote. But what does it say about the law as was given uh, to Moses when Moses went up and received the tablets? And the tablets, the law, that were written by what? The finger of God. So quite possibly what you have is Jesus either writing out the commandment with his finger, making a reference that he is God, or there could have been the fact he might have been writing their sins, he might have calling them out, I don't know. But for me, and again, this is the book of Steve, because we don't have a definitive answer here. For me, it's it's he's making that, that correlation to the finger of God. Because remember, he's getting to that point where he's going to be declaring himself to be God. And he's showing them with signs and wonders and different things going on here. So he stoops down and writes down on the ground. What is he writing? You know, kind of like with the, the finger of God sort of thing. And then he says, you know, he does not excuse what she did. There's a, there's a couple of omissions here. One is, she was caught in adultery. Where, where was the man? The man was not brought. You know, this was a male-orientated society. It was very unequal, uh, you know, in the way they did things. The woman was brought, but the man wasn't brought. And we know that certainly isn't right. And Jesus says to her, he didn't no one condemn you. He says, go your way. But he tells her, from now on, sin no more. Okay, so he's showing her something. He's, you know, she's being convicted. And he says, go your way, but stop sinning. Stop doing that. 
Okay, so he's not, you know, getting her, letting her off scot-free here. But there is that acknowledgement. So, what I want to move into now, I was going to uh, do a couple different things, but I want to get the I am statements out of the way. We've done them. Uh, we did one, the Bread of Life, John 6.35. I'm going to reference it, but I want to do the other six uh, I am statements. Actually, there's... there's uh, um, there's uh, eight I am statements, eight or nine I am statements that I want to look at. And so I want to put them together in one block of, uh, of teaching, moving away from chronological just a little bit. But I want to do all these I am statements together. So I think it was last week or the week before. I think it was the week before that we were in John 6.35. So just look at that real quick just for continuity. John 6, verse 35. Uh, you know, they were, um, the multitudes were around him, and Jesus was teaching, and, uh, you know, Jesus is talking about, you know, your forefathers, you know, when they wandered in the desert, they had bread from, from heaven sent down, you know, the manna. And so he's he's making a reference here. Of, of something, of how God provided for them and God sent something to them. Now remember, Jesus has to make the case, and this is John's argument here in his gospel, that Jesus is God, sent from God. He is God. So chapter six thirty-five. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you may have seen me and yet not believe. And he says, all that the Father gives me shall come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of Father who sent me. He says here, I have come down from heaven. You know, uh, uh, most of us aren't going to make that kind of revelation about ourselves. You know, I came down from heaven. He was saying, no, I was, I was born. My mother and father, I was born. He said, I come down to heaven. And then he says, just as God supplied this manna for you in the desert to sustain you, what he's saying here is God has also sent me to sustain you and to give you that life. That's why he says, I am the bread of life making a reference to the manna. You know, biblically, you know, the Bible is such a beautiful work because, you know, all these authors and, you know, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, telling the same story and fitting everything in together. What you don't have in the Bible is starts and stops and new ideas. What you have is one continual idea that God expands on. You know, that God is holy and sanctification is with God. And if you live a holy life, a pure life, you know, you live with God. Then there's the fall and then now it's about restoration, how we get back with God. And so, but it tells the same story. And Jesus makes all these Old Testament references because as, as I always tell you, the Old Testament always points to the cross, always points to Messiah, always points to where in the direction where God is moving. And again, theology, who is God? What is he doing and what is my response in relationship to what God is doing? So now go to John chapter 8. And one of these I am statements that sometimes doesn't get looked at, 
It's not one of the traditional seven I am statements, but it is an I am statement. Now, let me say this. You back up a little bit about the I am statements. The I am statements go back to Exodus, where God is speaking to Moses from the burning bush, and he's sending him, you know, to send the message to Pharaoh to let the people go. And Moses says to God, he says, well, who shall I say shall is sending me? And God replies, I am. And if that's all we read, you know, it's like, okay, wait a minute, I am. What does that mean? I am. Well, Jesus being God now reveals the I am statements. So when you read these I am statements, it's just expanding what God said from to Moses, I am who I am. And now Jesus is adding more to that I am statement. We just read that he is the bread of life. And he makes this statement here in John 8, verse 58. He says, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. So now he, he's, he's taking himself before the father of faith, uh, before Abraham the patriarchs, and the, the patriarch, and saying, you know, even before Abraham, I existed, I am. You know, John has already showed us in, in, in chapter 1, you know, that, that Jesus was there in the beginning, and he is God. He is the Word of God, and he came down to earth, you know, uh, uh, to save us. But here, again, he's making a very bold statement. He says, before Abraham was born, I am. You know, this is, this is a, a, a difficult statement to make if you're not sent from God, if you're not who you, you claim to be. But going back to the other I am statements, go to chapter 8 of John, verse 12. John 8 and 12. He says, Again, therefore Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in the darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said to him, you are bearing witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I come from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You people judge according to the flesh, and I am not judging anyone. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone in it. But I said, he who sent me. Now again, John makes the case. Uh, is Jesus coming from God? He is God. But here he says, I am the light of the world. Uh, he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Darkness, you know, a metaphor for evil. And he says, I am the light of the world. You know, God is true. God is pure, God is holy, there is no darkness in God. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Uh, and then also in verse, chapter 9, verse 5, actually I'll, I'll begin in verse 1, because the story of the blind man. Gospel of John, chapter 9, verse 1. But as he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Now notice their, their, their theology here, their, their understanding. 
they're saying that this man was born blind because either the father's the father sinned or the mother sinned or they both sinned. He says, you know, this is a direct result of their sin. Verse 3, Jesus answered and says, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me. As long as it is day, night is coming, when no one can, no man can work. But while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now here a metaphor, blind man, he can't see, he's in darkness. Jesus opens, you know, he, he explains uh, why this person is there. He's there so that, that God can do work in him, so that he can see, his eyes can be open, you know, the light, all of this stuff. Uh, you know, we have to understand that the providence of God, the providence of God is God is Alpha and Omega, everything in between. He has a plan, and he's working his plan out through history, and he's doing things. And sometimes we wonder, well, why did this happen? Why did that not happen? You know, the big picture is, again, theology. What is God doing? It's like, I always use the reference of, of, of 9-11, when 9-11 happened. You know, uh, the churches were full. And then two weeks later, nobody was in church. All those people that had come to church weren't there anymore. You know, part of me looks at that and says, you know, what an opportunity to preach the gospel. What an opportunity to reach people that hadn't been to church, maybe in a long time, or people that never came to church. Here was an opportunity uh, to do something. So you, you kind of have to look and see the big picture. What's the other side of this? Uh, uh, what can be therapeutic out of it? What can be done uh, right? It's like even now in what we're going through. You know, we we didn't know that we were going to be quarantined three months ago. None of us had ever gone through this. You know, uh, uh, we, we, we've never faced anything like this before. Our world kind of got turned upside down. But we could sit there and say, okay, everything's upside down, so now I'm going to be upside down. Or we could look at it and say, here's an opportunity to preach the gospel. Here's an opportunity to reevaluate what we're doing. Here's an opportunity to move ahead. Here's, a, here's an opportunity to find out where is God in the midst of all of this. Because no matter what happens, God is present. God is working. God is doing something. And again, who is God? What is he doing? And what is my response to what he's doing? So, you know, one of the things that's a blessing, as I said earlier, the technology factor that we're doing uh, at First Baptist Church of Artesia and a lot of other churches are, are, are doing is now we're actually modernizing what we're doing to be able to reach people uh, in, a, in an entirely different way. And if maybe if this didn't happen, uh, we would still be talking about, well, one day we're going to do this, one day we're going to do that. No, now we're doing it. Now is the time to do it. The reality is here. So you kind of have to see what's the blessing out of this? What's the benefit out of this? So we just kind of always have to look at, at these sort of things. What is God doing? So, so far we've talked about the bread of life, Jesus and the I am statements. He is the bread of life. He says, I am. He said, he's the light of the world. And now in John chapter 10, 
We get the next one. John chapter 10, verse 7. You know what? Just for continuity, we have a little bit of time here. I'm going to read from verse 1. John chapter 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus speaking, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. But when he puts forth all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, because they know his voice. And a stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him, because they do not know the voice of strangers. And now verse 6 kind of explains this. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying. Now verse 7, where I wanted to get to originally. Jesus therefore said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Jesus saying, he is the door. So in other words, what's the door? The door either opens or it closes. The door is that which you enter through. Jesus says, I am the door. We enter through Christ. And then verse 8, he says, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved. He shall go in and out and find pasture. And then he uses this this uh, passage that, that, that we hear uh, uh, quoted all the time. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they might have life, and life, and that life might they might have it abundantly. In other words, he's saying he is the true door. He's the one that we go through. And in other words, a lot of people had come prior to him and in and, and after Christ, saying that they were the way that they, that they were Messiah, that they were sent from God, they were all that. You know, those those are, are robbers. Those are, are the thieves that he's speaking of. You know, the thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. That abundant life through Christ, obviously, is eternity. So he is the door. Notice he's the bread of life, that which sustains us. He is that light of the world. There is no darkness in him. And now the I am statement says that he is the door that we go through. Then the next verse, verse 11, another I am statement. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Now, when they first heard this the first time, I'm sure they probably were not making the connection of what he was truly saying to them. Because don't forget, at the time of, of, of his, his death and, and, and resurrection, you know, they, they were defeated. They didn't, they didn't have, they, they weren't walking around and, no, this is victory, you know, death, you know, in, in resurrection, it's victory. They weren't prepared for that. They thought everything was wrong. Everything was broken down. All was lost. And he says, you know, I laid down my life for the sheep, sheep is a metaphor, again for the uh, for the for the flock, 
We are the flock, those that are saved. Uh, uh, and Jesus says he is the good shepherd. And going back to what we read before, we're supposed to know his voice. And how are you going to know his voice? The same way you would know anyone's voice, you have to be around his voice. You have to be around what they say. You know, has someone ever tried to tell you something about, well, you know, so-and-so did this and -and so-and-so did that, you know, and then you say, well, that just doesn't sound like them at all. That's not the person I know. You know, right there, you kind of call someone out that someone might be lying or stretching the truth. The point here is that when we read the Word of God, when we know what God says, and when someone tries to tell us something different, you know, it's, wait a minute, you know, that's not the God I know. That's not the God I serve. That's not the God of the Bible. And so it's very important for us to know this because just like we're just like those sheep, you know, that there's wolves out there that want to destroy us, want to come after us. And if we're not careful, they will come and get us. You know, we need to we need to know uh, uh, Jesus's voice. We need to know what God has said. We need to know what the voice of the Holy Spirit is like. And uh, uh, if we don't, uh, we're lost. We're confused. And so he says, he's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. He's the door. He is the good shepherd. And now the next one, John 11, verse 25. John 11, verse 25. Now this is right after Lazarus. Lazarus is dead, you know, uh, Martha and Mary, and he's dead, and they, they go to Jesus, and they ask him to, to come, and, and Jesus comes, and, and, and they said, oh, if you only would have got here sooner, you know, and Lazarus is already in the tomb, and he calls him out and has his life uh, restored to him. In uh, uh, verse 24, actually, it's, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the res- resurrection on the last day. In verse 25, And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This is an I am statement. This is do you believe this statement. You know, this isn't one of those, uh, uh, well, take it or leave it statements. This is one of those statements, uh, uh, they're the markers of Christianity. That you know, do you believe that Jesus Christ came from the Father? God so loved the world, He sent His only begotten Son. Do you believe that He paid the price on the cross? Do you believe that He died? He was buried. He was resurrected and ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father. These are non-negotiables. And so He says again, "I am the resurrection and the life." Resurrection is what it is. Life. And he who believes in me shall live even if he dies. See, this is why I say you have to have a biblical antecedent. I've said it to you before, that you have to have a biblical antecedent in the Bible to say something as a truth. In other words, if I say to someone, I'm sharing the gospel, and I say that, you know, one day I'm going to be resurrected and I'm going to live in eternity uh, in heaven. Well, what do I base that on? Uh, because I, I made it up? 
do I base it on because I saw it written somewhere? Or do I base it on the fact that Jesus Christ died and was resurrected? And do I base it upon what he says? He says, I am the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me shall live even if he dies. So in other words, the same power that, that raised Jesus from the grave would now be in us based upon our believing in him based upon our acknowledgement of our sin, our repentance, uh, acknowledgement that Jesus is, is, is Lord. It says, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. He says, do you believe this? You know, this is something that, you know, we when, when we're sharing the gospel, we have to make people understand this. They need to know this. This is some of the basis of their faith. Because if someone would ask them, well, how can you say you're going to be resurrected and live forever? What's, what's, your, what's your proof? Where does that come from? Jesus Christ was the first. And, and, and you know, it's in a sense, it's almost like every one of us have a number after that. You know, he was first, then there was second, third, yada, yada, all the way to your number and those after us until the church age is done and when he, when he returns uh, to, to judge. So he says, do you believe this? that he is the resurrection and the life. But also do we have to believe that he is the bread of life. He's the light of the world. He's the door. He's the good shepherd. He's the uh, uh, resurrection uh, and the life. And remember, this particular statement comes right after uh, uh, Lazarus being being raised out of the, uh, out of the tomb. That, that something happened that could have been seen as a, as a, as a tragedy. Somebody, something could have been seen as just sort of a passing miracle. That there, it wasn't connected to anything. But this is what you have to understand about God. God does not show off. God doesn't do anything just to do it and stand back and say, hey, look at that. Wasn't that cool? You see what I did? No, everything is tied to something. Everything is tied to who he is. Everything is tied to his plan. There isn't any wasted movement here. There isn't any anything that, uh, 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 any loose ends. Everything is, is certainly tied together. So he says, I am the resurrection, the way, and the life. Uh, he who believes in me shall live, even if he dies. Just, just think of the comfort of that, believing that and knowing that. You know, one day, you know, we will live in eternity with Almighty God. Just the comfort of that alone. Forget anything else that, that, that God has done for you or God will do for you. Just that alone. It says, everyone who believes, who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And again, he's talking about what was in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus. Why must man be born again? You know, and he tells him about the rebirth. We have to be spiritually Reborn because it is our spirit that lives on uh, in, in eternity. Our flesh will corrode and die, but it is our spirit, the essence of who we are, uh, that will live on. Okay, bread of life, light of the world, the door, the good shepherd, the resurrection, the life. And now, John 14, verse 6. I'm going to read from verse 1 for continuity. Uh, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, 
and where I am, there you may be also, and you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Then Jesus says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father. Also from now on, you know him and have seen him. This is a huge messianic statement here, but going back to in the context of what we're talking about here, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The early church, the early believers, uh, when they were still in Jerusalem, uh, they were referred to as people of the way because they followed Jesus Christ and, and they got it from this passage here that they the, those that follow the way because he says, I am the way. So in other words, if Jesus says he is the way, then there is no other way. And then, you know, he is the truth. It means there is no other truth but the truth that he has, the truth of God, and he is the life. Now, this is why Jesus Christ came, but he had to come in, 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 in human godly form. Because he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, no one can make atonement for our sins but God. No one can forgive us for our sins but God. Humans cannot do that. We are all fallen. Only uh, God can do that. And the only one that knows the way is God. The only one that has the truth because he is the truth. He gives us the truth. And he also gives us the life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. This is why, you know, believing in who Jesus Christ is, is and so I say to you, you can't have Christianity without Jesus Christ. Just think about this for a second: that if you take this passage out of it, that you, that, that you can just come to God any way, you'll miss it, because He says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Me." And then he goes on to make this very heavy theological statement. If you had known me, in other words, he's telling Thomas, you don't really know who I am. You're not getting it yet. He said, you would have known my father also. You know, Jesus is a is a walking, talking representation of God. Why? Because he is God. That's why a lot of times if, if, if you don't understand the work of God, Look, look, look at what the work of God did, or what God is saying. Just look at how Jesus did it. It's, it's a representation. It's a walking, talking image of who God is, because he is God. He says, you would have known my father also, and from now on. Notice, he says to Thomas, from now on, you know him and have seen him. In other words, Thomas, sit down, take a deep breath. Think about all you've seen. Think about all that's going on. Look around you. Take it in. Understand it. You know, this is, uh, let me chase this rabbit real quick. This is a pet peeve of mine in Christianity. Is that sometimes we, 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 we check our spiritual IQ at the door. You know, and, and just listen and nod our head to what anyone would say. You know, if they say amen or they say Jesus. Realize that every cult that has come down the road that has led people astray has used Jesus Christ as the hook. 
And it's people that don't know the word of God. It's people that are, are, are following a person rather than the word of God. And don't forget, Jesus is the word. Uh, when you're following the word, you're following Christ. You know, they, they follow these people and they, and they end up finding themselves in a very bad, very bad place. Uh, because they don't know the Father. They don't really sit there and look. They don't really begin to add it up. You know, you always have to ask questions. That's why I say to you, uh, uh, ask questions when you're reading Scripture. That was one of the things that uh, first put me on, on this journey. I didn't realize it was going to lead to being a pastor and going to seminary and all this other stuff. But I would always look at Scripture, believing Scripture, and then ask, okay, if this is true, then why are we not doing it? If this is true, why are we not doing it this way? If this is true, why are we doing something different? You know, show me what is wrong here. And so, you know, you're, you're, you're seeking the truth. You know, Jesus says, you know, knock and the door is going to be open. You know, that's looking. That's searching. That's seeking God. If you seek God, you're going to find God. God is not hiding. God is there. That's what I say sometimes to people. What, what are you, what do you say to someone if they're looking for evidence of, of, of who God is? And I say, okay, well, let's just go outside and just begin to take a look. And just look at the way everything fits together. Just the way, you know, uh, you know, the bees do what they do and the plants do what they do and, and the ground does what it does and the water does what it does and the sun does what it does, but it all works together in harmony. That's not chance. That's plan and design. You know, uh, the amazing things, you know, the way fish migrate to one warm water and cold water and they, they, they do certain things, the way the planet works together and, and all this stuff is in the way it renews itself. It's just, you know, this just screams for intelligent design. This screams for God. This screams for a, a, a creator. And so, uh, realize that this creator is the way, the truth, and the life. So when we begin to look at all this and we begin to add everything up, we now begin to, to understand, uh, who God is. That's why I say theology. Who is God? When you find something out about who God is, write it down. Make a little note. This is what I found out about God the Father. Or you're reading something else about Jesus and this is what I found out about Jesus Christ. Write it down. You find something about the person of the Holy Spirit. This is this is who the Holy Spirit is. Write it down. And eventually, you begin to get a list, and then you begin to cross-reference, and you begin to realize they're all the same. It's the same essence there. And so this adds to your package for a triune God. But the point here is that you begin to know who God is. You begin to know what God has said, so that if someone tries to bring you a counterfeit, you know, the thief comes to what? Kill, steal, and destroy. Someone tries to bring you a counterfeit, you'll know right away. And as I say to you before, in a, in a bank, they don't train people how to spot a counterfeit bill by looking at counterfeit bills. They train them to look at the original, look at what a real $100 bill is. Because there's so many different counterfeits. Everyone is different. But if you know what the real thing looks like, as soon as a counterfeit is in your hand, you hold it up to the light, whatever it is, you know right away it's a counterfeit. But you see, you have to know. So, Jesus says, I am 
the bread of life. I am the light of the world, the door, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And now John chapter 15. Look at verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Now, in other words, he says, I am the vine. Now, if you continue to read here at verse 11, we'll do that. It says, every branch in me. Now, wait a minute. He says he is the vine. And now he's talking about every branch in me. Remember, we just read about, you know, the, 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 the if we're in him and in him and us. Okay. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. Uh, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So in other words, we have to abide in Christ, live in Christ. We can't bear fruit on our own. You know, we, we were talking about last last Sunday in, in, in you know in, in church that you know the Holy Spirit comes to do what? To empower us to do ministry. This is, you know, uh, a gift from God that God has placed on the inside of us based upon our confession of Him as Lord and Savior. But, you know, it empowers us to do something. We can't do it on our own. We need God to be able to do that. Verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Uh, nothing from nothing is nothing. I don't know how you translate that in any other language, but nothing is nothing. Okay? Can't put two nothings together and get a something. Nothing is nothing. Uh, verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, abide again is a metaphor, in, or another word of saying lives in me. Uh, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. Now, this is according to abiding in the vine, knowing what the vine wants, knowing what the vine says. So therefore, we do not ask amiss, as James says, that we ask for something that God is not doing or God is not providing uh, or we're trying to bear our own fruit here. Uh, verse 8, he says, by this, my father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. See, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we are our fruit of that vine. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments. Abide in his love and these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be full in you that your joy may be made full. And what started off this passage he says, I am the true vine. In other words, everything else is a substitute. Everything else is not uh, uh, the true vine because a lot of people have said, come, come follow me. I am the one. I am the way. I am this. He said, no, I am the true vine. And we are to abide in that vine. That's why Paul makes the reference, you know, in Galatians and other places that we're grafted in. 
to what God has already done. You know, as believers, we're grafted into that. And it's, uh, uh, you know, a planter understands that, how you can graft a branch into a, uh, a plant. And so we are, we are grafted into that. And then once you're grafted in, you become part of the vine. You're not a separate entity anymore. You are that true vine. And then uh, look at John 18. This is all the way going where Jesus is being arrested and just showing you the progression of the messianic statements that this is an I am statement that he says in John 18 verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth and his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron where there was a garden into which he himself entered and his disciples. Now Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place, for Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all these things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Who do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus, the Nazarene, he said to them, I am. And then in italics there, you notice it says he. In other words, it's in italics because what the editors have done, they have just kind of put a pronoun there and says, I am he. But as you read this in original manuscripts, it is I am. So he is saying to them, they answered him, Jesus, the Nazarene, he said to them, I am. So in other words, when he says, I am, the full weight of who God is, he says, I am. He's making a, 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 a messianic statement here. He is making a statement that he is God. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. Verse 6, when therefore he said to them, I am, they drew back and fell on the ground. Notice that. He says, I am, and they fell on the ground. In other words, the presence there of that, that I am statement, they fell back on the ground. And then this is where he allows himself to be taken and go on the cross. You know, that this is just showing you the power in that going back to Moses. You know, who shall I say sent me? I am. And they ask Jesus, who are you? And he says, I am. You know, this is this is a powerful package of, uh, of of I am statements, and I encourage you to go back and reread these I am statements and look at it uh, in the context in which they're given. And again, it, it it just increases your package and your understanding of what God says when He says, "I am." Who shall I say sent me? I am. You know, you know, the bread of life, the light of the world, the door, the good shepherd, the resurrection, the life, the way, the truth, the life, the vine. You know, this is I am. <coughs> now I've got one little thing I want to clear up. A question from last week uh, from our audience of two. We were talking about different feasts and stuff. And the question uh, came up, did Jesus keep all the feasts? And we had read where, you know, he had went to, you know, <coughs> excuse me, one of the feasts. And, you know, he showed up and there's 
other passages where he's there at the uh, at the feast. But I wanted to show this to you because I think I referenced it last week, but I want to show you this. John ch- chapter 10, verse 22. It says, At the time the Feast of Dedication took place in Jerusalem, it was winter. Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. The Jews therefore gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these bear witness of me. But you do not believe, because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. Going back to, I am the good shepherd. And I know them, and they follow me. Why? Because they know his voice. And I give eternal life to them. Why? Because he's the door, the way, the truth, and the life. And they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. Think about that for a second. Just dwell on that. Once you are in Christ, no one shall snatch you out of his hand. You know, if that's not enough to put you to sleep at night and contentment, you know, I I don't know what else is going to help you. You know, once you're in Christ, no one is going to take you... uh, out of out of his hand. Verse 29, My Father who has given them to me is greater than I, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. He says, I and the Father are one. This is a Messianic God statement. He says, we are one. Uh, but going back to answering the question here, in verse 22, did Jesus keep all the feasts? From the evidence, we we can pretty much figure out that yes, being a good Jewish boy like he was, he did. And here he is at the Feast of Dedication. Now, this is interesting because the Feast of Dedication is not one of the seven feasts of Israel. The seven feasts of Israel are, and you can get this in Leviticus chapter 23, unleavened bread, Passover and first fruits. Now those are all in the same week, uh, which is kind of interesting because that's the week when Jesus was betrayed, Passover night, institutes the Lord's Supper, they take him, uh, he's resurrected on first fruits. Then Pentecost, so we have unleavened bread, Passover, first fruits, then Pentecost. Pentecost means 50. 50 days after Passover, you have Pentecost. It's the second of the harvest feasts. First fruits is the first harvest feast. It's around this time of year, Easter time, and it is your you take the fruit, uh, the harvest into the temple, the first new uh, uh, fruit, and you would uh, uh, wave it before God. You'd give it to the priest. The priest would then say a prayer, wave it before God, thank God for the early harvest with anticipation for the latter harvest. So you have unleavened bread, Passover, first fruit, then you have Pentecost, then you have the Feast of Trumpets, which is at the end of the harvest season. And that's when the harvest is over. And it's called the Feast of Trumpets because the high priest would stand on the corner of the Temple Mount and blow the shofar, the trump of God. And at that point, uh, uh, you would come come into the Temple. Then after that, then you have the Day of Atonement, and then you have... Uh, the Feast of Booths, or as we talked about last week, the Feast of Tabernacles. Those are the seven feasts of Israel. But yet here's Jesus in John chapter 10, 22, at the time of the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem. And he's in the temple, and he's clearly celebrating it, and he's there. 
Now, what's up with that? Verse 23, it says it was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. Well, what is the feast of dedication? Some of your translations might say the feast or the festival of lights. Uh, it's in winter time. What feast do we have in winter time, or what kind of uh, uh, Jewish feast do we have in, in the in the winter time? What kind of celebration is in the middle of winter? I'll wait. <laughs> it's Hanukkah. That's a feast of dedication. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's the festival of lights because what you're dedicating is the fact that when uh, uh, the Assyrians came in and they ransacked the uh, temple. Uh, and they destroyed it, and the Maccabees came in, and they, they restored temple worship. The first thing you had to do was light the candle, the flame of God. You had to light the uh, uh, ceremonial candle there. And they only had enough oil for one day, but miraculously it stayed lit for eight days until God was able to make, and then until they were able to produce the new oil. It takes eight days to do that from, from olives. And so the Feast of Dedication, it's rededicating the temple. That's what you had to do. You had to relight the menorah, that's the, which represents the flame of God, uh, that the flame of God is, is there. And uh, that's the first thing that you have to do. It's called sometimes a Festival of Lights because you every day on Hanukkah, what do you do? You light another candle. It's a light. So my point here is, answering the question, did Jesus keep the feast? Why, here he is keeping a feast that was not even mentioned in the Old Testament, because this happens in between the Testaments. This happens about 200 years before Jesus is born, about 180 years or so before Jesus is born. And so here he is. It's a celebration. It gives all praise and honor and glory to God, and Jesus is there celebrating it. It also answers a question uh, about sometimes... a. Pastoral-wise, people ask me a question. Well, Pastor, can 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 a Christian celebrate this, or can a, can a Christian do that? You know, or different things. And I say to them, Well, you have to have a biblical antecedent, and your biblical antecedent is uh, the Feast of Dedication. It was not a commandment of God to keep it, but what it did, it gave all praise and honor and glory to God. So, whatever it is, <clears throat> excuse me, whatever it is that you're doing or you're celebrating. Uh, you know, if it gives praise and honor and glory to God, you're on good ground. You know, that's your biblical antecedent. So again, answer the question, uh, did Jesus keep the feast? It surely seems like he did. He even kept uh, Hanukkah. So he was he was there on, on Hanukkah selling that, uh, celebrating that because he gave praise and honor and glory to God. Amen. Praise God. Uh, any questions? Email them in. Call me. Let me know. I want to answer your questions. We can, you know, I get enough of them. We can do a night of a night of questions. I mean, think about it. Uh, uh, it's it's uh, you can play stump the pastor. I don't know what you want to do, but uh, we we can have a good time with that. So, uh, but next week we'll we'll continue this. If we don't have a, a uh, a lot of questions will continue on, but we're going to continue with this study with, with the Gospels for a few more weeks, putting them all together chronologically, and then we'll probably go into the book of Acts, tell the story of the book of Acts. Uh, so that will probably take us well through the summer and into the fall. So praise God. Thanks for joining again. And uh, let's just uh, close in, in prayer. 
Lord God, we just thank you, Lord, for uh, your word, that it truly is the way and it's the truth, the life, that uh, Jesus is the bread of life, the light of the world, the door, the good shepherd, the resurrection, the vine. He truly is, I am. Lord, let that statement, I am, resonate within us all this week, Lord, and, and forever, Lord, that the weight of it, when you say, I am, what that truly means. And so, Lord, I thank you that for watching over us during this time, Lord, as we're uh, not out and about doing things, Lord, I thank you that you watch over uh, our families, Lord, our individual respective families, Lord, and that if anyone should contract uh, any virus or anything, Lord, and it is my prayer that you would heal them completely and quickly, Lord, watching over them and all of us, Lord, and keep us together as a church, Lord, and, and uh, help us to do the things, Lord, that, that glorify you, Lord, that, uh, that uh, make us look at you. And so, Father, we just uh, thank you for this time, and we just give you praise, and we give you honor, and we certainly give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, praise God. Uh, thanks for joining me. Don't forget to share this podcast with someone. Don't forget to share the uh, our online services and, and direct people to that. Uh, like I said earlier, you know, we're getting a lot of uh, response to our online services and stuff. So let's keep this up because one day soon we're going to be uh, gathering back together. And hopefully we can have a great big celebration in our sanctuary with a lot of people there giving honor and praise and glory to God for keeping us together during this this time. So again, just thank you and uh, see all of you next week. God bless and uh, keep safe.